All right. So yeah. I am with yeah. National Walleye Tour Angler of the Year, Mr. Jack Hard. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Not bad. Where did you guys come up with that? Or how well, did you find that? I, was I found it on the dark web, man. And, and you know, I find some <laughs> weird memes on the dark web. I've fished with you in the past and spent some time in the boat. But uh, I don't know. In real life, there's a, I can't remember what fishing TV show it is, but there was an episode and your dad was on there and there was like a screen cap with his name on, except it was Jack Hurd. And someone must have gotten yeah. that confused at the National Walleye Tour. And there's a screen cap. Yeah. Any, I, something else. Yeah, that's funny. That's awesome. Yeah, Going when around. I saw that, I was you maybe have to flash that on here. I saw that and I'm like, well, someone's either making fun of me or someone screwed up. So it's awesome. Hey, man, we're all uh, laughing with you. Podcast listeners, we're going to do an audio version and a video version. If you got the uh, video version, I mean, this is floating around. I don't know if you can read it, but man, I, I, someone needs to fire whoever <laughs> in the editing. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, I know that guy. What's yeah. his name? So. Yeah. Uh, maybe I jack him hard. I tried to jack some lips or something. Yeah, man. <laughs> you got a good jig hand, man. I've seen you fish. Um, yeah. I think you did a lot of rod and hand techniques for the National Walleye Tour. So, um, guys, if you've, you haven't heard some of the earlier episodes, I've had Drake on before just talking about some of his manufacturing companies with baits and stuff. And, if you don't know him, he's very involved in the fishing industry. I think he's done some guiding in the past in his home state of Minnesota. He's um, Renegade Manufacturing's his main company. He's the president and owner of Renegade Outdoor Innovations, who does the custom baits, hard hard baits, soft baits, and he fishes the National Walleye Tour. And um, what's AIM? What's that stand for? Anglers International Minnesota? Inside Market. Yeah. I'm messing go. with you. It's close enough. It, yeah. it seems like yeah. all the events yeah. are out west, but... No, yep, and, exactly. We don't come near you guys for some reason. I don't know why, but our shoes stink or something. But uh, yeah, hey man, yeah, I wanted to talk about your your National Walleye Tour season, and uh, you 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 made some history. I believe you're the first angler to get four top tens in one yeah. year. So that's freaking amazing. Congratulations! Yeah, to you. yeah. Thanks. And I, I honestly wasn't really paying attention about it, and then uh, you know John Bala is always on the stats with stuff. Yeah. And after Mobridge, he's like, he tied an NWT record, you know, with three. And I'm like, wow, well, we still got one tournament to go. You know, yeah. I got a chance at, at doing this. So, so, <laughs> and you know, this being only the, the first year with five tournaments, I can at least say I hold that record for at least one year yep. until we'll see what happens next year. But uh, uh, flex on a man. Oh, it was exciting. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what I should do. <laughs> Be proud about it and stuff. So no, it both. was great. I, I had a blast all year long. Yeah, both of them trophies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, it's it's been a lot of cool kind of following your season from a distance, man. Not not like a social distancing thing, but like, you know, I've been busy. I mean, you got a new girl at home, I've got a new daughter as well. Yep. And yeah, it's, I've been able to watch some of it on social media and, and some of the media coverage. So uh why don't you go ahead and I'm just gonna kind of ask you a little bit about your entire season kind of event by event and you kind of walk us yep. through over how how much or how little you want to go over but uh chamberlain yeah. that was the first event um yep. april 29th tell us about your event there yeah um <clears throat> that was gonna be i i have i had fished chamberlain as a younger kid um we kind of gone out there most every april we'd kind of gone out there and stuff but then i kind of took a hiatus so i hadn't been out there for like 10 years but it was very similar to how i remember it there's a ton of fish in the system there but it's tough to get those over 20 inch fish. So um, going into the tournament, we kind of actually had a pretty good game plan where we were heading up north to get our slots. 
but then we would make the 60 mile run and let lo and behold, as you'll find out, you know, that was where those big fish were and, and chase and chemos who are, you know, did one, two were fishing there all day long. We just didn't have the confidence to do that. So, um, going into that first day, um, like you had mentioned, I, I just, I wanted to have that rod in my hand as much as I possibly could this year. I mean, that was one of my goals. And, and so that's what we were doing. We were just slow dragging jigs down current, um, in these big pods of fish and they were just picking it up. So that first day, I think I was sitting in like, I don't know, 25th, 26th place, somewhere in there. I was in the check range. Um, and I wasn't completely out of it. The weights were super tight. You know, I think Mm -hmm. first place was like, you know, 19 pounds or something, which Ryan Rieger kind of ran away with the first day, but then from like second to 50th was like a pound and a half or something, you know, it was super tight. Um, so that was good. And, uh, was there someone in the background there? The missus. Oh, oh yeah. Imagine that. And then, um, the second day, you know, we did, we had the same game plan. I mean, we were going to try to get our overs and, and lo and behold, I had that unicorn at about 11 o'clock on the second day was 27 incher. Mm-hmm. And then we happened to get another 24 incher. I mean, it was kind of unbelievable that I'd get both of those fish in the same day, ended cool. up weighing 16 some odd pounds and, and moved all the way up to second place, ended up tying for second, but Tommy Kimos had a bigger bag the first day. So he won the tiebreaker, ended up in third. So oh. It was a great start. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't complain. I was a little bummed about not getting second, but overall, I mean, it was a great start to the year. Heck yeah. So uh, tell the audience a little bit about dragging jigs. I mean, I think my core audience is more Great Lakes. And sometimes yep. when I think dragging jigs, at least in my my head, is like you're, yep. you're, you're trolling and dragging a jig on the side of the boat. Uh, maybe it's something different. Go ahead and elaborate. Yeah, no, I, I honestly, for the most part, it, it is. I mean, we, we were basically, I was working a break line that was anywhere from like nine to 12 feet of water. Um, and, and that's what we basically did. We would zing that jig behind the boat. We could use two rods. Um, so I kind of, you just hold on with both hands and it seemed like you couldn't pop it at all. You know, sometimes, you know, you like to hop it or, you know, mm-hmm. just do something to get them to bite. But it seemed like the more still you held that thing, the better off you're going to be. Yep. Um, you know, so, and you were just doing, you were basically going down with the current, just a little faster than the current, not much, but just kind of going down with it. And those fish would pick it up. And when they had it, I mean, they had it. There was no question about it. Sure. I want to ask a little bit about the jigging rod and setup that you use for dragging jigs, at least on that body of water. Uh, Typically, kind of what we're used to fishing Detroit River, St. Clair River, kind of in the neck woods where my podcast is located. We vertical jig with the current with like a kind of like a medium heavy rod and and talk a little bit about what you use for that dragging jigs technique moving with that current. Yeah. um, So I'm with Lou's um, rods, but for the most part, well, what I was using, honestly, was a 610 medium extra fast. Um, you know, it, it seemed to be good, you know, with two rods, I wanted to be able to pick up as much slack as I could, as fast as I could when I when I have two rods in my hand, because you set one down and you, you reel the other fish in. Yep. Um, and that rod seemed to do that very well. You know, I was using a um, 10-pound braid um, with about a 10-foot fluorocarbon leader on it. Um which looking back on it now, it was kind of interesting talking to a few guys. A few guys actually went to mono um, hmm. the second day when the bite did get tough. Um, and I thought that was interesting because, I mean, those fish with that fire line, you know, I mean, they they can feel everything you feel at the yep. same time. So if you get that extra second where they don't feel you with that mono, that can be a big help, you know. Hmm. So 
Um, overall, I couldn't complain because of how I did, but you yeah. know, I'm going to definitely keep that in mind. If a bike gets tight, I mean, those guys, well, a lot of them went to mono and, and that seemed to work out well for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting point. And, uh, something I took from you a long time ago, a couple of years back, we were talking and, uh, you talked about using six pound fluorocarbon and, um, you know, typically yeah. I'm a braid guy when I do jigging stuff, but some of the finesse stuff I learned from like watching you and your dad fish live bait and do, um, you know, some like weed pitching stuff is there's just a little bit yeah. more stretch. So there's definitely some merit to that. And I'm taking notes too, as we're talking. So. Yeah. And you're going to hear about that come otter tail. Cause that was, a, I think a big part of the, the tournament for the championships. So looking forward to hearing about that. So, uh, yeah, third place at Chamberlain, and then that takes you to Green Bay, land of cheese. Yeah, yeah, the land <laughs> of cheese. I don't even like to talk about it. Um, <clears throat> no, I mean that that tournament in Green Bay. I, I it was gonna be it was gonna be interesting. I mean, you would go up um, and fish up north, and you would get between zero and five bites a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was just it was a grind the whole time. Now we could get some fish in the lower part of the bay. I mean, you could go down there and you could whack 18 to 20 inches at, at will almost, mm-hmm. um, which was pretty crazy. Um, but we knew those fish weren't really going to do us any good. Even if we had five of them, we may have had 15 to 18 pounds, which, you know, in, in at green Bay, it's, it's big fish or not, you know? Yeah. So, um, we decided to end up going up, um, <clears throat> Northwest with, I bet you 90% of the boats went up that way and, uh, we just grounded out. Um, that first day was a huge Northeast wind. Um, I put the power pole down and we just kind of drifted, <clears throat> you know, with the waves. Cause that's about all you could do. You couldn't pull against them. Yep. And we were just, we were throwing hair jigs and, uh, rattle baits, you know, ripping ramps, red eye shads. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just kind of rotate through anywhere from that six to nine feet of water. There were some guys that were in like nine to 12 feet too. They were just outside of us, but we ended up um, first pass stuck one. That was huge. I think it was just short of 11 pounds or something yeah. like that. And I mean, that was 15 minutes into the day and I'm like, man, I, I didn't zero. That's, that's a great sign, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we just kind of slowly picked away at it. We had the fifth one on probably six or seven times, but they just weren't biting that good that day. And we, we lost some of those fish, and, which would have really helped. But I mean, there's not much you can do. That's part of fishing. Right. So uh, I just want to ask you a little bit about hair jigs. That's something that's not too common used. I mean, some guys right. use them up here in Michigan. Yep. Um, I know it's popular Green Bay. Um, yep. I'm sure you guys use it back in Minnesota, but talk a little bit about some of the technique, how you use that. I know some guys you know, basically alternate what they're yep. reeling to get the action on the jig. Yep. Break it down. Yeah. I mean, that, <clears throat> it's funny. It's, and it's kind of interesting based on region, like in Minnesota, we use them all the time, but you always have like a minnow on there, a, a fathead or a plastic or, or something on there. When you go to Green Bay, we kept asking the guys, well, like, what do you, what do you put on them? And they're like, what do you, what do you mean? We don't put anything on them. You know, it's just the plain hair. And I'm like, really? Like these huge walleyes are going to eat this. And so the first couple of days we were just trying to get used to it because back home, we just kind of snap jig them a lot and you don't really do much with the reel. Yeah. And my one buddy came out with me the one day and he's like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You gotta, you gotta do the real thing, you know, where they just, it's like, you zip it, you know, and it, it, I think it's just like an imitated, like a goby yeah. or something. And when you would zip it, you'd zip it twice and you'd just wait and you'd feel the slack in your line. And all of a sudden your line would just jump and these fish were, 
you know, 27 to 31 inch fish were just inhaling this little hair jig. I mean, it was like this and it's just baffling to me, but it was so much fun because it would knock slack into your line and you're like, Oh boy, here we go. You know, (laughs) and you wouldn't on the hair jig, you just wouldn't lose the fish. I don't know what it was, if they just had it down so far or what Mm -hmm. versus that, you know, rip and wrap or red eye shed, you, you would lose the fish sometimes. And you're just like, well, how does that even happen? I got six hooks versus one, yeah. but it, it, it did, you know? So, um, it was one of those things, you know, I, I think it's gonna come more and more popular as it expands more on the great lakes. Yeah. Um, because there's so many different applications for it. you hear the, the small mall fishermen are doing it and everybody else. So, mm-hmm. Um, I know you're with striking, but I want to talk a little bit about that red eye shad because I think it's a sleeper bait. Um, yep. A lot of guys typically, you know, you, you hear like lipless crank guys are talking about the rapala rip and wrap great bait. Yep. But I think there's yep. times where yep. that red eye shy, the red eye shad shines. So um, talk about how you put that in your arsenal, yeah. whether back home or on tour. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> don't get me wrong. I use the rip and wrap a ton. I mean, there's a ton of walleyes that get caught on that thing. But there's sometimes those fish just get pressured and you just need a whatever it's, whether it's a little other different sound or action. Um, and that's where that red eye can come in that the two tap is what I, what it is, is two tungsten BBs in there. And, and I just like the action of that on certain days. It seems like if they've seen a lot of rip and ramps, it's just something just a hair different and you work it very similar to a rip and ramp. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's a lot, it's a lot slower at the same time. You, you work it a little bit slower and I think it just gives those fish that extra second to look at it and they crunch it. So, yeah. um, you know, it's just a different option when, when you're doing that stuff, you know, for sure. And, and to your point, I mean, when fish get burned out or pressured, you got to give them just a little bit, something different. Otherwise they're not going to yep. snap. Good yep. points. Yep. Yeah. So, um, Sturgeon Bay, no, <laughs> seemed like you, you know your confidence was kind of shaky in the beginning. Things kind of picked up, yeah. and uh, and then yep. that ended up for you. Yeah, so I ended up ninth place there with twenty four pounds, and, okay. and I was actually leading angler of the year after that one. So I was like, all right, we can do this, you know. Okay. So um, that gave me a huge confidence boost uh, yep. going into Erie, which that's cool. We'll see if, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Lake Erie, man. I know you love that body of water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think the last time you were there prior to this event, I, w- I was fishing with you guys and uh, it was a little windy then. So talk about your experience yeah. on Erie in June. Yeah. Um, June was much nicer. I mean, we did have a blow day, but I mean, that's just to expect the great lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot nicer. And honestly, Erie is, it's something special. I mean, it's pretty crazy. The amount of fish that you catch, while you're out there, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're looking for those big fish, but you go through a school and there's just, these schools are miles long and, and everything is snapping. You're constantly reeling in fish. So, um, you know, it's fun to go out there, but at the same time, that thing is my nemesis right now. I just, I can't, uh, figure it out. It, once those fish move, I just, I got to figure out where they go and how they move. You know, that's my biggest thing right now. Um, so, you know, going into the first day, I mean, we had a solid game plan. We were fishing somewhat shallow, honestly, only like 12 to 18 feet of water. And, um, you know, I was in 29th, 30th place, something. And I was honestly happy. I'm like, I just need to hang on to this thing. If I can stay above 40th or so I I'll be happy just to get out of here, you know? (laughs) And then, uh, 
we had the change in the weather overnight and my water cleared up and those fish were gone. And I was catching big, like pie plate, like sheephead, sheephead. like nobody's business. Yes. Like it was, I was just like, Oh my God, how do these things, they can't get any bigger than this, you know? Uh, um, so then I ended up dropping all the way to 87th or something like that. And I was just like, Oh man, I opened the door for everyone on this one. So, yeah. Uh, so um, qu- question about your, your eerie event. Uh, did you run way East or about how far did you end up running? Yeah, I was running East. Um, Avon point is where we were, we were fishing quite a bit. Uh-huh. Um, I did go all the way to Cleveland and further during pre-fishing. And I mean, we caught fish all the way along there. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're running here, running six offshore boards, I mean, you can cruise, you can cover some ground. Um, but it's amazing how many fish, you know, just all the way from where we took off all the way past Cleveland, you were catching fish. So it was, it was very cool to see. Mm-hmm. It was just a matter of finding those big pods, you know, those big fish, you know, that, you know, it's Definitely. just one of those things. Yep. So I want to talk about trolling a little bit. I know you're with offshore as am I, and um, I know you love the rod and hand techniques, but I also know that you really enjoy trolling. Um, One of the things that's a challenge, (laughs) I don't know how you do it on tournament day, but uh, during practice and stuff, you got, you got the trolling reels and metrics. You kind of got to do the conversion meters to feed unless you got different stuff. But um, I know you like those loose trolling rods and I got some of those in the boat now, mainly because fishing with you and Robert, but the, the seven, six telescopic rods. And let's talk a little bit about what you use for your trolling stuff. Um, Talk about maybe the configuration you run your OR12 offshore boards and a little bit about your loose trolling rod setups. Yeah, that's just it. You know, I, I was always like a big, like, I thought you needed like an eight, six or longer trolling rod, but that seven, six that Luz has, you know, there's something about it. It's perfect for, you know, for clients or a co-angler, for example, it's, it just seems like it's easier for them to handle. Um, you know, I, 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 I personally run 12 pound, um, line, um, which I, I, I do that because for some reason I was snapping 10 pound line when I, when I was always trolling green Bay, like eight, 10 years ago. So I always just went to 12 pound mm-hmm. and I felt like I just didn't snap nearly as many lines, you know, whether it was pressure, it was just random things, whether it was rocks or whatever, you know, just random stuff. So I, I run 12 pound, which keeps my baits a little higher than on the dive curves and stuff. But, um, you know, with that, you know, the planar boards, like you said, I mean, we both love our offshore boards. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that set up the seven, six, the boards and that 12 pound line, you know, I've got a lot of confidence in that, whether I'm pulling cranks or spinners, which we ended up pulling more cranks during this tournament in June. Yep. Um, just, you know, cause we were covering more ground, but, um, I definitely love that setup for trolling spinners too. Cool. Yeah, the seven six is nice because you can load up back on that rod, and you don't have to reach way out in outer space to pull off yeah, your off. To pull on it, yeah, I know. And when we came out with that, I'm like, gosh, I don't know, do I want that one? And then I got like one or two, and it's like, gosh, I should have ordered all of them at seven six. Yep. You know, I want. Them. Um, so yeah, yeah, exactly. So yep. um, overall, I mean, they're both great rods, but there's mm-hmm. something about that little shorter rod that seems to just fit well with people. Gotcha. I don't know how much you can say or, or what you know what's coming on the pipeline, but is there any more walleye stuff coming towards the market for trolling? Or are there some like sleeper rods or configure? It doesn't even have to be trolling, but is there any like yeah. sleeper rods coming from loose? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're working on a few things. Um, obviously, the price tags on on our, our rods right now are, are for the general public. I mean, they're from $69 and up to $89. Yep. Um, some are a little higher on the longer rods, but, um, you know, they they want to step up now and, and come with a little higher end um, stuff and, and, and can't kind of keep moving, keep innovating. And I know they've been talking to Tom Kemos and Jason Shakir a lot about it. So, um, hopefully there's be some more stuff coming here in the next year or so. That'd be cool. Yeah. So just some things yeah. to guys, at least in the great lakes market, I feel like, uh, a lot of the lose guys or the guys that run lose are more of the bass stuff, but they make some good quality stuff for, for walleye and other multi-species applications. Just, just things to think about. Yeah. And that's yeah. one of the things, I mean, lose, everyone thinks lose is somewhat new. Well, no, they've been around for forever. They've just always been down South. And crappie and bass have been their big thing, and and they're making that push in in the Midwest and you know e- northeast um, area, you know, over towards you guys uh, yep. with the walleye stuff. Definitely, actually, my first rod and reel like spinning rod combo was a lose laser. I still lose. got that thing. Actually, my, <laughs> my dad stole it and it's in his garage. So, right. yeah, but um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, Oahu. Let's talk about your Lake Oahu event. Yeah. Um, you know what? I honestly have to give Eric um, McCoy kind of, well, I shouldn't say that. Kevin McCoy, too, um, but not. This guy's put us in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I had never been out to Mobridge before, even though it's just one pool up from Chamberlain. Um, and those guys had been out there a few times. So they had a lot of confidence in saying we're in, we're probably going to be within this area plus or minus, you know, 10 miles of this one bridge of the 212 bridge. Um, you know, they said that's where the majority of the fish are this time of year and you're going to work off of that. So that was a big boost because just for knowing the general area of where we need to be looking. And then we just kind of went from there again, we did, we were trolling some trees and stuff, um, which we did do a little bit, but um, I wanted to get away from that again and, and try to get the, my rod in my hand. And that's that late summer bite is, is perfect time for glide baits. And, and I was using jigging wraps and shiver minnows and it, mm-hmm. it worked out well. I mean, we would find these fish on deep humps anywhere from, you know, 30 to 45 feet is kind of where the, the majority of those fish were. And based on, you know, the current for the day, they would just stack up in these little spots and, and you would have a heyday on them. Um, you know, it was interesting to try to find, again, we could only have two over 20. Um, and then we could have the three under 20. So there's a few things that came into play because guys were thinking about points. If you caught a fish and you were like in my position, if you caught one fish, you were in the championship guaranteed. So I told my co-angler like the very first day, I said, you know, we're going to go out and I don't care if it's a 14 and a quarter inch or it's going to, going the live well it's the first fish and that guarantees i get into the championship mm-hmm. well it ended up being a like 20 and an eighth and i'm like oh no now i gotta make this decision because we can't call you know yeah. i'm like yep. and i let that fish go and i'm like oh i hope i didn't make the wrong decision well i i didn't i mean we were on nice fish and i ended up weighing the first day like 17 pounds we had like a 28 and a half and a 23 yeah. I lost a couple really nice fish would have been a better, uh, over than a 23, but I mean, I, I couldn't complain. I think I was in like 11th or 12th place. So, yeah. um, I was super happy and I, I, we hadn't touched this one spot the first day I could kind of watch the spot and 
I told Eric if we and Kevin, if we can stay off this spot, we're going to come here the second day. And I feel like there's going to be fish there. Mm-hmm. Well, we went there the second day at around noon and I had a 29 and a half within mm-hmm. five minutes. And then Eric came up and got like a 30 and a half. And then an hour later, I got another 28 and a half. So, I mean, it was just a big Jeez. fish spot. It was crazy how many fish, you know, came off of there, but they would just move up in the afternoon onto this thing and, and we could watch it because no one was really fishing there. And yeah, and it worked out great. You know, I think I weighed 21 pounds, almost 22 pounds on five fish. So, so what do you think um, was moving I was those, super jacked. <laughs> understandably so. What do you think yeah. was moving those overs onto that piece of structure? And it wasn't, you know, um, you know, I, you know me, I'm a big believer in the moon phases, minors and majors and stuff like that. When it comes to fishing and deer hunting, um, I think it's a big thing. And that major was at like one 30 in the afternoon. So, um, I think that was just their feeding window. You know, they might've did it right away in the morning, but I just wanted to get some fish and get my slots and go from there. So, um, I think they just, they would just move up, you know, it was their time to feed and this, this dropped all the way into the channel, which was 80, 90 feet of water. And they could just hover out there. You could kind of see them out there, but you could never get them to bite. You just kind of left them out there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like a light switch would come off and they would just move up on these things and you could chase them down with the live scope and just keep crushing them. You know, that's so cool. So you're casting yeah. live baits and like jigging wrap sort of deal at them. Yeah, that's what we were doing. I mean, when it comes to that late summer bite, I mean, it's tough to beat those baits. It's, it's comes down to a reaction bite and, and when you have that and live scope, I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> awesome, man. So, so uh, yeah, let's talk about current Oahe. If I'm not mistaken, is a reservoir of what the Missouri. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Um, Missouri river. Yep. Yep. So what drive, I mean, obviously wind drives current, but are there other events that'll pump that current more throughout that, that lake? Yeah. I mean, the, the army Corps um, of engineers obviously has some say in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you gotta remember the Missouri rivers, it's, it's very wide. I mean, it's pretty wide. Um, but there are certain days where you, you would get just a little flow and it would just, it would push those bait, you know, into a little pocket where they could get some slack water off a point or, whatever, where they could just tuck in behind there just to rest for a few minutes because they didn't want to fight the current all day. Mm-hmm. And that's where we would pull up on these spots. You know, um, a lot of it was wind driven, but at the same time they were running water because um, they needed out there for electricity. I mean, it's a big source of electric power out there for them. So yep. um, when they would start pulling that stuff, I mean, those fish would just kind of tuck in and it was, <laughs> it was fun when they did. So <laughs> cool, man. So that brings yeah. us to, otter tail that's close to home man and that's the yeah. championship you made yeah. that so going into the championship uh, yep. you were what third in angler a year yeah sitting in third um chase was four points ahead of me and and courts was 16 so okay. um i knew it'd be an outside chance i had an idea i could catch chase it was going to be a, a pressure to catch mark mm-hmm. um but i i mean otter tail i kind of grew up on it that's where i'd fished all my life and yeah and I got to sleep in the basement here. Well, I didn't sleep in the basement. I slept upstairs, but Eric and Kevin slept down here. So okay. that was a good feeling. Good, man. So close to home. How far away is Otter Tail from the house? Um, it took us about 40 minutes each day, 35 minutes, depending upon the weather. So, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a simple drive, um, right up, right up north. Um, 
so I mean, it, it kept me at ease kind of the whole week. I got to see the family, I got to see the boys and, mm-hmm. you know, we'd get home and they would want to play and everything. And I'm trying to think about tournament fishing, but it, I yeah. think it kept me kind of relaxed all week as, as relaxed as I could be going into the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got, guys were as much as they said it was a tough bite. Like you could tell that they were catching them. Um, mm-hmm. I would say earlier in practice, they weren't onto it because I mean, it's a shallow lake. It's a shallow fishery i mean you fish a lot of or i do three to six foot three to seven foot of water um and it's clear so people get a little nervous about that but it was windy the whole time we were there and i think towards the end of practice a lot of guys realized that and they moved up on top of these things and and i knew they were going to catch them you know it was it was pretty impressive the amount of fish that we caught there yeah um you know so um I think I was sitting in fifth after the first day, um, right where I wanted to be. Honestly, I, I was comfortable there. Um, and you're fishing and shallow. Knew, yeah. Fishing shallow, jigging a minnow. Again, Classic. I, I mentioned line. Yeah. Snap jigging. We would zing it out behind the boat. Um, and I'd go about a mile, mile and a half an hour and, and just snap it real light jig. Um, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily worried about being on bottom because when you're in that shallow water, if you're a foot or two off bottom, that's close enough when it comes to that. So, um, but I mean the six pound fluorocarbon, I mean, as much as people make fun of me for that six pound fluorocarbon, I've caught a lot of fish and I've won a lot of money doing it with that six pound. I know honestly, Mark Martin is one guy that he believes in it 110% too. It's interesting talking to him about it. He goes, Oh, I love that six pound stuff, you know? Um, so it, it, it's a little bit of a pain in the butt to deal with when it's all the way on your spool the whole time. You have to respool a little more. Yeah. It's high maintenance. Some, yeah, it, it mm-hmm. is. It is. You're right. And, but at the same time, there's just something to it, how it floats the jig or whatever it may be that it, it, it just works, you know, and it's six pound test. People get nervous about it for some reason. You just take your time and it works. Yep. Uh, to your point, man. I, so I used that on St. Clair and I was um, fishing a rock pile with a rip and wrap and it was, it was colder. I think it was probably mid January and I was working a rock yeah. pile and I, I landed a 40, I think 43 inch musky on a rip and wrap on the six pound fluorocarbon. So to your point, just yeah. take your time and, and you can get it done, but yeah. just, like you said, you gotta gotta watch a spool respool it if it gets blown out or whatever. Yeah, they yeah, <laughs> so. you'll you'll have that happen. You'll just look and you're like, ah, oh, god dang it! Now I got to do this again. You know, so yeah. um, but it's just part of it. You know, so um, going into the second day, then I think I weighed like eleven and a half pounds. Um, we lost two big fish the second day. That would that would have helped. I mean, we would have had probably fifteen pounds again, but. Um, it was enough to get a sixth place into the third day. I mean, that's going into the championship. That's the goal is to always to make it to try to make it to that final day where there's only 10 boats going. Cause then, you know, it's going to be wild and you don't know who's going to win. Um, because it's, you're the, you're there and it's, it's the greatest feeling ever, you know? Yeah. Um, so minus Eric basically was fishing a different lake than us. I don't, I don't know how smokes, he did. man. And, and yeah. you guys fish a lot of, a lot of slot stuff out in Minnesota and yeah, that the bag he threw up day two. was pretty yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was impressive. I mean, I've fished otter tail for a lot of years and even six fish bags. Like I had never seen that big before ever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun to watch because I was like on top of this hump in like three to six foot, 
And Eric was about 200 yards from me. And just down from me was that Tom Hoyan um, fishing. And, and both of those guys, it was fun to watch them work. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, they were kind of working around each other and they did very well. I thought fishing next to each other for them, for being one, two, you know, yeah. the, basically the whole time, the whole three days, yeah. um, you know, but it, it was fun to watch cause I could see it all unfold and basically watch Eric walk away with it. So, yeah. um, but I mean, I, I was happy just being the top 10 and, and honestly to wrap up that angler of the year was, was huge. You know, it was, it was mind blowing to me. Yeah. I want to talk about the end of day two for you and just, um, kind of explain some of the emotions of what you're feeling when you, when you knew that you, at least unofficially, you clinched that title, you have to wait next day. But what, what did that feel like emotionally for you knowing that you're going into day three, and you pulled something off that I remember a couple of years talking about, like that was a goal of yours, get angler of the year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, you work so hard for it all year and Jason Shakur is the one thing that's stuck in my mind after green Bay. Um, or maybe it was, it was after Lake Erie because I sucked and he could tell that I was, I was down in the dumps and he goes, you know what, Drake, he goes, if it's your time for angle of the year, it is, you gotta, you gotta have some lucky bounces. You're going to have terrible luck, but you're going to need some guys to stumble on their face too. Mm -hmm. Um, as bad as it sounds, he goes, it's super, super hard to get angler of the year. Um, and that's kind of what I needed at Otter tail is I needed to have a good tournament and lo and behold, Mark Cords and Chase Parsons who don't, they don't stumble Mm -hmm. very often. I mean, it's a rarity that they stumble, um, ended up 40th and 39th place. And, and I, after the second day realized that I was going to win angler of the year. Um, and you could, my wife would attest to this. It, it was, I didn't sleep very much at all. Um, going into this tournament. I mean, as much as I'd say it, I was relaxed and, and enjoying that. I was super stressed, you know, but mm-hmm. tell you what, after that hands. second day, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> And after that second day, I mean, I don't think I slept. I've never slept so good. I mean, it was that I had all that stress off Mm -hmm. and I figured, you know what? It's a Northwest wind on, on Friday, the third day of the tournament. I mean, they could be ripping and I'm just happy to be here. And and I slept so good that night. And even on Friday, I, at that point, I mean, I was so relaxed, probably a little more relaxed than I should have been. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was a huge relief off my shoulders. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Congrats again. And, uh, man, a top 10 at the championship and angler year. I mean, that's an incredible season. You should be proud. And I mean, all the companies behind you, not to mention your family, your wife who supports everything you do. Um, you know, your, your mom, your dad, your kids. I mean, um, you work hard for what you do, man. And I just want to congratulate you again and keep it up, man. It's so cool watching you, uh, getting it done, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. You know, um, I, I feel like I've kind of just worked my way through the ranks and, and kind of shown that, you know, anyone can do this. If you just, it's a lot of hard work, don't get me wrong, but it, mm-hmm. it's just that anyone can step up and do it. And, you know, you know, as well as I do, I mean, my dad plays a huge role in this. You've fished with us multiple days and mm-hmm. you've seen me and my dad argue and stuff at the same time. You've seen us be super happy yeah, but- together, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> So, I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things, but you, you just, to have your family and, and have kind of our father son time out on the water, it, it's, it's pretty special. And it was pretty special to have it close to home where a lot of family and friends could come watch it happen. So cool, man. So cool. Yeah. I don't want to car- cause any more arguments, but I do have to ask you, 
Who's the better live bait finesse fisherman? I, I think I have <laughs> my mind, but I want to hear you say it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's pretty tough. If it comes to jigging, I would say I, I still have the upper hand, but when mm-hmm. it comes to live bait rigging a, a red tail or a crawler or a leech, it's tough to beat my dad uh, when it comes down to just live bait rigging with the Lindy rig. I got, he's I got one, of the, one of the, he's one of the better ones out there. So I got a postman Johnny story. So I, uh, we were fishing yeah. George in the shallow bay and uh, he was on the phone with someone, maybe, uh, maybe your mom or something. And he's doing yeah. his rigging thing and he's talking to someone. He's doing his thing. <laughs> That's it. Just here, here, take this I'm just yeah. while he's having a casual phone conversation, but He's got yep. some. Yeah. Yeah. He's just got that touch when he's got that <laughs> Lindy rig in his hand. He's one of the best out there. And, and so if it was jigging, I'd say I'm better. But when it comes to that, he's probably still got me beat. So gotcha. it's all right, though. I'll get it someday. <laughs> yep. Take note. Keep fishing with them, man. That, that's uh, one yeah. thing I love doing fishing with my dad and just that you can't be. Yep. Um, I want to exactly. talk a little bit about, uh, um, so you fish tournaments, but you're also heavily involved in manufacturing for the fishing industry. Yep. Fin gear, that's your latest venture, and you're doing uh, graph mounts, rod holders, and stuff like that. And then, um, you know, I know you've been on several podcasts talking about your company, and it's really cool to yep. kind of follow you guys on Facebook and what's new. But uh, kind of talk yep. a little bit about what's coming down the pipeline through Fin Gear. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're just kind of getting the stuff out here. Um, Obviously, we have rod holders, craft mounts, tracks. um, But, you know, we're we're young. We're only eight, nine months into this thing. Um, As far as production goes, we've been at it for three years or so. But, um, you know, we're we're coming with the Great Lakes stuff. A lot of guys want to ask us for trees. We've got some unique tree stuff that you'll probably see in the next few weeks here. Mm -hmm. Um, Rod tubes that you'll see in the next few weeks here. I mean, all this stuff that, that we're just kind of growing into to see, you know, um, I'm pretty excited about that stuff. Um, obviously live scope poles, we're always pushing the, 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 uh, boundaries there with stuff. Um, but not only that, I mean, there's a huge market there in the ice fishing world too, that we have some unique stuff that you'll be seeing in the next month here or so that, uh, the ice fisherman needs. I mean, a lot of this, um, live scope, Lawrence stuff, um, active target now hummingbird stuff live um guys are going to use it in ice fishing and and so we have a few unique features that we're going to come out with and and we hope guys enjoy it there so that you can use our stuff year round um it's fun to do it it's a lot of interesting hard work Mm -hmm. um but it's interesting because you talk to so many different people about how they fish in certain areas or why they use certain equipment so um it's been very interesting i mean talking to you even you've given us some great tips on stuff and uh you you know we're just going to continue to grow it and go from there yeah um you and i talked a little bit about some of the differences of the rod holders or the stuff that you guys produce in-house and uh um, yeah for guys that have the video version, I've got a, a rod holder from a different company. And, you know, um, when I think of like the Vin gear stuff that you guys make uh, versus some of the other stuff out there on the market, I think of not everyone's a gun person, but I think like, you know, this one I got in my hand is more like an AR 15 with the machining and stuff. And then you got like the fin gear and that's like the AK utilitarian brute force, really heavy built stuff. And um, I yeah. kind of put this over my shoulder where you can see some contrast, like, Yep. This has a really nice bevel to kind of get the rod holder and the rod in there. Um, but for low yep. profile rods, there can be a challenge and stuff. And I think you've done that, uh, some things to address it, at least the, the pre-production yeah. prototypes I've seen in your boat. 
Um, so go ahead if you got yeah. any samples or anything. Yeah. So this one has been around. You can see it's all beat up. It has been around almost a little over three years now. Um, I've been kind of playing with one. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's been yeah. around for a long time. We've kind of beat it up. Um, but we almost, we did like two step downs essentially. So yeah, I see that. one is for your low profiles and stuff. And then you also have the one for the big, you know, everyone likes their big reels at times where they need a lot of line. You need that mm-hmm. line capacity. Um, so we kind of did the step down there, yep. you know, the, obviously ours tilt, um, much the same, you know, you can tilt it up and down based on this pin back here. Yep. Um, and then you can rotate it around to 360 degrees. Mm-hmm. One of the unique features that a lot of people are kind of coming to recognize ours by are, are these dials right here. Um, you wouldn't think you'd use these, but when it comes down to it, you use them a ton because what it does is you can put how much line you have out. You know, once you get six, seven, eight rods out, you know, and fish start firing on them, you get reeling them halfway in and you're like, crap, how far did I leave that one out? Well, all you have to simply do is have this dial wherever, set it, whatever. There's a little mark on the inside here yeah. and you can have it set at like 120 feet or 30 feet or whatever it is. It's just a big reminder so yeah. that you can, you know, set it back exactly where it was at. So mm-hmm. I think that's a nice feature because even us Great Lakes guys that troll a lot, it's really easy to forget your sets if you got a bunch of lines going out there and uh, definitely a yeah, user-friendly I mean, feature. Right, exactly. Even for clients or something like, hey, just mm-hmm. set that rod. Well, how much was it? And you can just say, well, it's this rod. You know, you can just look there. Um, you know, our, our stuff is pretty heavy duty. It's maybe a little overbuilt, but we wanted to make sure it was right mm-hmm. and then it would hold up to the things. You know, that thing has been around for a long time. And yeah, it's got some scratches and dents and everything else in it, but honestly, functionally, there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we, one of the things that kind of sets us apart too is, as you know, is with like guns, the seracoding, you know, it's, it's one of those things. We have a huge variety of options for guys to order all sorts of different colors to match their boat and big customization thing. I like to custom paint, you know, that, um, and so for allowing to custom, you know, whatever it's a graph mount or rod holders to their boat to match their boat. I mean, we're willing to do that and, and it's been working out great. That's awesome, man. So if people want to get to know um, what you guys are putting out there, I know you got a Facebook page, Fin Gear, but where can they find you on the web? Yeah, so it's fingear.com is where you can check us out on the web. Obviously, like you said, you have Facebook, Instagram, all, all the good social medias and stuff. Otherwise, feel free to honestly reach out to our personal page, either Drake Hurd or Robert Cardenas. Um, you know, we're more than willing to talk with people about it if you have questions. Um, you'll see our phone numbers are on there. There are cell phone numbers. I mean, we're, we're very personal. We want to be personal with you people because I mean, you're our customers and, and we want it to work for everyone. So, cool. um, we're just, hopefully it keeps growing and maybe someday I'll be a bazillionaire someday. <laughs> hey man, that'd be the goal. When I'm a hundred or something. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool, man. So yeah, you've, you've had an incredible yeah. year and it, it's cool to see your, your business grow. And, and, um, I remember ah, maybe a year or so again, you were, you were, you know, you can, you can slap me later for saying this, but I remember you saying you were considering taking the year off and focusing on family or, or doing some other stuff within yep. the industry. And, uh, you went at it, man. And look what you pulled off. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, I so know. Cool. I know. 
Yeah, it was, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I told some of my closest friends that I, it, it's just my boys are getting to that age where Hudson wants to do hockey and Porter wants to do soccer or baseball. And yep. and at some point, it's going to come to the, that point where I'm going to have to slow down with the fishing a little bit mm-hmm. um, and focus on the family. I mean, that's a big thing. And it always has been. And I want to hunt and fish with my boys as much as I can, too. Yeah. Um, my dad gave me that opportunity, and that's why I want that. So, mm-hmm. but I, at the same time, I, I love the tournament fishing still. I've still got the heart for that. And I still want to pound those guys' faces in whenever I can. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's fun. I enjoy yeah. every minute of it. Well, get it in now, man. You're doing a great job of yeah. uh, balancing business and, and the fishing endeavors within tournaments and then doing your best to be a dad and take care of everything at home, man. It's really cool to watch. And I'm looking forward to sometime down the road reconnecting, not just over this podcasting, but you know, maybe seeing face to face and uh, just keep it up, man. Absolutely, this is really, really cool. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have to get the families together sometime. Um, maybe someplace warm, Arizona, Florida, someplace oh, where we don't to. have to shiver up north. But no. um, I think it'd be perfect. That'd be good, man. Well, uh, hey. Everyone, I just want to thank you for listening in and watching the video version of the Walleye World Podcast. This is Drake Hurd. He just took Angler of the Year on the National Walleye Tour for 2021. Had a great season. And I want to thank you very much for hopping on the podcast, Drake. We'll talk to you soon, man. Absolutely. See you guys later.